Hello, and welcome to the Crossroads Podcast, the show where Mark Meckler and Rita Peters discuss hot-button issues from a biblical perspective, helping to equip other Christians to bring light to a darkened culture. Rita is the Senior Vice President of Legislative Affairs, and Mark serves as the CEO and co-founder for Convention of States Action. Find out more by visiting conventionofstates.com slash pod. Hello, friends, and welcome to another edition of Crossroads, where faith and culture meet. I'm your host, Rita Peters, and I am going solo today with the hosting duties because my co-host, Mark Meckler, is traveling this week. But don't worry, we've got a great guest today for the fourth in our 10-week series of programs on servant leadership. Her name is Roslyn Weisenberger, and she is another teacher and mentor in this area, just like Chris Thomas, who is with us for the past three programs we've done on servant leadership. And just, I want to start by just telling you a little bit about Roslyn. She has been married to her best friend, Steve, for 29 years. Steve is a pastor, and Steve and Rosalind enjoy being in ministry and leading together. They have two adult children, and one of those is getting married in October. So (laughs) Rosalind is, I'm sure, very busy these days. Um, As far as her background, Rosalind has worked in perinatal drug treatment programs. She was the director of children's ministry for 17 years. And she currently teaches and leads Bible studies at church. And she came to join Convention of States back in 2021. She believes that God led her to Convention of States. And if you all have been listening to the program for a while, you know that that is my day job as well, working for Convention of States. Within our organization, Roslyn is part of the mentoring department team, and I am just so thrilled to have you on the program today, Roslyn. Thanks for joining me. Absolutely. It is an honor. I'm excited. Well, Roslyn, as I told you a few minutes ago, our show is called Crossroads, Where Faith and Culture Meet, because we focus on issues that are important to people of faith as they seek to impact our very dark and secular culture. But I want to hear your perspective on this. How do the principles of servant leadership help us to more effectively impact the culture around us? Well, first of all, Rita, let me just recap how culture is created. When two or more people come together with shared values, a common language, and commitment to a shared goal, we begin to grow culture. And it takes intentionality to maintain, but we also have the freedom to invite others into it. And the beauty of a culture based on servant leadership is that the focus is on the individual person and relationships and not on the results, which sounds a little bit counterintuitive. But over the years, I've I've come to realize that people want to experience that they are known, valued, and loved. And when people regularly experience that and it's the norm in the culture, they're inspired and have the freedom to be innovative. They thrive and productivity goes up which is impactful in and of itself. But even more so, we're providing opportunity for them to develop their reference influence 
which inspires those around them in all the areas of their life because it's from who we are and what we are doing. And that's transformational. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, as a reminder to our audience, we are walking through the book called Servant Leadership by David Kuhnert. That's K-U-H-N-E-R-T. If you're looking for the book on Amazon, it is available there. And as I mentioned, we're on chapter four today, which is called Freedom Versus Control. This is such a, such a big one. Nice one to have for your first week uh, with us, Rosalind. And in this chapter, David Kuhnert, the author, says, we should invite others to join us on the journey in life, but we cannot control them. And that's really, you know, the theme of the chapter. Rosalind, do you think that many of us have a tendency, I'm almost afraid to ask, do we have a tendency to try to control those around us? And why does that not work? Well, yes, I think it's a universal issue, but I have to be honest, if you were to ask, have asked me this like eight years ago, I would have said that I didn't have control issues. I would have been wrong, but I didn't believe I had control issues. Um, I have multiple sclerosis, which is a chronic neurological disease that disrupts communication between my brain and my body. And so um, right now I'm wheelchair bound and I'm losing dexterity in my hands. So really there are lots of things that I just don't have control of and I just can't do. And I found in those instances, I want to micromanage. So let me give an example. Um, my husband now loads the dishes. He loads the dishwasher so they can get washed. And when Steve first took this chore on, I convinced myself that I was having a we focus and I wanted to help Steve load more effectively. And so I spoke into that, yes. And so you can just imagine how that conversation went. It didn't go well. I mean, and the reality was it was me focused. I couldn't control how it was being done, but I could tell him how I thought it should be. And I'd lost focus of what the there really was. The there is just that the dishes get washed doesn't matter how they look in the dishwasher. So what I found is that control is really abusing felt power and it's giving a false sense of security and stability to the one that's trying to control. When in reality, it's producing fear, it's producing resentment and it produces rebellion. Um, if we want more influence, we have to give up control. Another counterintuitive kind of thought. Um, I like I like the illustration of being at the beach, and if you ask a little child to like scoop up sand and hold as much sand as they can in their hands, they're going to squeeze it really hard. And what's going to happen is all the sand is going to pour out between their fingers, and that's what control does. The more we try and control things, the less influence we have. And if we truly <laughs> want influence, we need to hold our hands open, and the sand will sit fill up our hands and we have more influence because we truly are valuing the other person. Hmm. I, that's a beautiful illustration. It, it really just makes things kind of click and make sense. And I'm also wondering, as I hear you tell the story of um, 
you're, you know, thinking you have a we goal or a goal for the common good with wanting the dishwasher loaded a certain way. I bet there are lots of places I can find like that for myself. But it does make me wonder when when we're trying to control someone or the way that they they do something, is it generally a, a, a actually a me goal that the person has in mind because it seems like maybe those things go together like the the attempt to control maybe fits more with a I want something done my way than wanting something for the common good do you find that to be true I find that to be absolutely true and the problem is I convince myself it's a we focus though but, but really, anytime I want to control, I want to make somebody do something my way, that's me. It's, yeah. it's all about me and it's not about them. Yeah. Okay. Well, this is the chapter where David Kuhnert, the author, introduces this concept that I have found so helpful in so many circumstances. And it's the concept that he calls the freedom V. And he, there's an illustration in the book. So if you're listening and you've bought the book, you'll find that really helpful. It's a little bit harder to explain without having the visual, but because we are a radio show, <laughs> Rosalind, can you take a shot at describing and explaining the Freedom V concept? Yes, I will, I'll give it a go. And I, I think what I'd like you to visualize, so when my kids were little, we had the alphabets that you put on the refrigerator, the magnetic ones, there were little ones, but I want you to picture the big chunky ones. And I want you to picture a big chunky capital V. Um, the lines of the V are the structures and expectations and organization. The law of nature are those in authority like parents and teachers put in place for me. Um, they're not there as punishment, but they're there to clearly communicate um, the boundaries so I can make educated and wise choices. Outside mm -hmm. of the V are negative consequences for non-compliance or inappropriate behavior, which should always be clearly communicated. Um, there, uh, one of the things, there are a lot of people in our society that say boundaries are unfair and that structure is unnecessary. But without clear structure and boundaries, we have chaos. There's confusion and there's division. I mean, I think of if there's a family of five where the mom, the dad, and the three kids all have different unspoken expectations, differing ideas of what is right and wrong. I mean, you're going to have chaos and the family's going to crumble. Um, or if you're starting a new job and there aren't clear structures um, where you don't know what's expected of you, you'll waste an exorbitant amount of energy and you'll flounder. So creating the clear structure is really a gift that we give to those we value and desire to influence and help develop. Mm -hmm. And the just going back a, a little bit to the shape of the V, it's shaped like a V because the the more responsibility, you tell me if I'm getting this right, the more responsibility someone demonstrates and the ability to um, operate within the structure, the more freedom they, they're given, the less they need all of that structure in place around them. Is that is that how you would describe it? 
I, I would totally describe it like that. I think that's getting into the self-governance. It's getting into mm -hmm. the smaller V um, within. And self-governance is taking responsibility for my, my choices, regardless of position or circumstances. I create boundaries and structure for myself within the Freedom V to help me get there. Um, and this is a skill that can be learned. And so let's look, let's look at the Freedom V like you were just talking about, Rita. So at the bottom of the Freedom V, it's very narrow with tight boundaries, minimal freedom, and a lot of oversight. And this could be considered the learning phase. And the leadership style used there is directive and transactional. So examples are you're starting a new job, and this is where you're learning the ropes. And so everything that you're doing has been clearly communicated to you. There, You're given the there, you're given the path, and you're given the here. Um, with our children, it's when they're infants and toddlers. We decide when they're going to go down for a nap, what they're going to eat, what they're going to wear, um, when they can play. And maybe, you know, as they're toddlers, we, they get a little bit of freedom. You can have a Cheerio or you can have an apple slice because we're beginning to help them to see that they, they do have choice. But that's at the lower part of the, the Freedom V. And then we move to the middle part. And the, the V, the boundaries are a little bit wider. Um, with moderate level of freedom and oversight. And I call this, this is the applying phase. We're beginning to integrate what we've been learning. And so the leadership styles there are usually transactional, participative, and delegative. So let's say in your job, you've been there for six months and now you're past the probationary phase. You're more familiar with the language, you're embracing the values and you're committed to the there. And so you're, you have a little bit more freedom. With our children, this could be like middle school into high school. They're really grasping freedom and they're understanding that with freedom comes responsibility. And then we move to the top of the Freedom V with wider boundaries, a high level of freedom and minimal oversight. And I'm calling this, this is the, the serve and the soaring phase. And the leadership style used in this is mainly transformational and sometimes delegative. Um, if you're an employee, you're consistently showing a high level of proficiency. You're committed to the there and you have the ability to self-govern and act, learn and adjust. And for our kids, perhaps this is they're going off to college. Mm. But, yeah. but I was just going to say, and then within the V, there's movement up and down. <laughs> within the Freedom V, because our desire is to develop self-governance. So if someone goes outside of the boundary set, they'll be moved down in the Freedom V. And it's not, it's not because we're trying to condemn them or we're trying to punish them, it's because we're giving them an opportunity to act, learn, and adjust, and to develop self-governance in that area. And then when mm -hmm. self-governance is demonstrated, then they can move back up the V. And this protects mm. them and it protects the team and it helps us to stay on the path to there. That is really helpful, Rosalind. You just did an amazing job without um, the help of a visual aid, but I had that picture of the refrigerator magnet V <laughs> in my head and it worked great. <laughs> so for those of us who are in positions of authority over others, and most of us are in some capacity, whether that's in a work context or in a family context, 
it is important for us to set clear expectations and then have clear consequences. David Kuhnert points out in this chapter that God provides us with a great example of that in Adam and Eve. Can you explain that? How does that relate? I can, and it's kind of funny because just on Sunday, this is what I was teaching in children's church. So it's very, very fresh in my mind. So God really does clearly lay out the freedom be. Um, he says, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. He clearly says what the expectation is and what the consequence is. And I love that he does this in a way where he still leaves the choice up to Adam and Eve. It's the whole picture of influence and not control. Mm. They, they have the option to live and function within the freedom V, creating self-governing structures so that they, they protect themselves so that they can do that or to walk outside of it. And then the temptation came. And Eve, instead of focusing on the there, I mean, I think they're transcendent. There must have been walking and talking with and trusting God. She chose to step outside. She chose to listen to the other voice. She chose to take her eyes off of her, her transcendent there and to look at, oh, well, this looks like this could be good. And she allowed the temptation to grow. And she had to suffer the undesirable consequence of being shut out of the Garden of Eden. But, but really quickly, I want I just want to pause really quick and give a, a glimpse of chapter six, because mm -hmm. God didn't immediately um, toss them off the bus or move them out of the Garden of Eden. He gave them a moment of truth. He gave them an opportunity to be honest and to become self-governed, to take responsibility for the choices. And that's what we're going to talk about in chapter six. Because truly we're desiring to develop people, giving them opportunities to be self-governed. And God is a great example of that. Absolutely. So there's lots of grace in this whole construct of the freedom be and self-governance and um, everything we're talking about. There's lots of grace um, and, and places where we'll apply that. So um, great plug for chapter six quickly read it too. And it's recognizing we're a work in progress. I'm a work in progress. Those that I'm desiring to develop are a work in progress. And I think that's important for us to remember. Mm, absolutely. Now I want to circle back to the whole issue of control, because again, this chapter is about freedom versus control. We've already talked about the fact that we cannot control others and that it is not helpful for us to try. But now we get to one of my very favorite parts of the entire book, and that's where David Kuhnert, the author, points out that there are only three things in life that we can control. What are those three? You know what? And I agree with you. This is transformational because yes. our society tells us that we there are oppressors and those that are oppressed and we're all victims. And this just blows all of this out of the water because regardless of what's going on around us, there are three things we can control. And those are who I trust, my actions and my choices and my attitude and my perspectives. Life-changing. Absolutely life-changing. So I wanna, so the first one is 
who I trust. That is something we can control. There aren't many, like three things in all of life, three things we can control. The first one is who I trust. Um, the second one is our attitude. And I want to focus in on this one a little bit more because I think this is huge. And David Kuhnert asks this question. He says, do I believe God is in control and that he has me right where I am for a reason? If I believe God has me where he wants me, I can look at circumstances in my life differently. And so isn't that really what it all comes down to when it comes to attitude, Rosalind? It, it is. Our perspective is huge. It dictates how we perceive things, how we respond to things. But I, but I want to circle back to who I trust because this yeah. is what I found in, in my life. When, when my actions are out of whack and when my perspective and attitudes are skewed, it goes directly into who or what I'm trusting in. And mm. so I, I love what David wrote, you know, do I believe God is in control? When I believe God is in control and I'm living my life out in that way, it totally changes my perspective, my attitude and my actions. So here's the example I want to give. So I mentioned that I have MS. So I was diagnosed when uh, my kids were five and three. And I was devastated, you know, but I'm a researcher. So I went online, you know, I did the whole Google thing, which is what you shouldn't do when you're diagnosed with something. Don't go to Google because it just tells you all of the negative. And so I, I did my Google and um, the, the research I was finding was very disheartening. And then I started doing what I struggle with stinky thinking. I just started thinking, oh, I'm not going to be able to do this and I'm not going to be able to do that. And how is God going to use me when I have no abilities? And so as I was trusting in Google and I was trusting in my feelings, um, my, my attitude and my perspective was becoming hopeless and my actions, mm. I was beginning to think, well, I can't do anything. Um, and then I remembered that my transcendent there is to trust God to grow and trusting God and loving God and loving other people. And so I was hanging out with him in, in the Bible. We were actually at a, uh, a prayer retreat and uh, he led me to a scripture and just reminded me in my heart of hearts, he was saying, Rosalind, isn't your body my temple? Mm. And can't I design my temple the way that I think it needs to be designed? You know, and inside wow. I'm like, yeah, you know, <laughs> yes, God. <laughs> so, Rosalind, your temple includes MS. It's not in spite of MS. It includes MS, and it's how I'm going to draw you to myself, and it's how I'm going to use you in, in this world to proclaim my love. That changed my perspective. As my abilities decline, I can lean on and remember, okay, but you know what? God is my strength. He has a plan and purpose for me. When I can't do things the way that I want to do them, I can now go, you know what? Different isn't bad, it's just different. And so mm. God has a different way for me to do what I was going to do. So it's, it's life-changing. Who we trust matters. Our parents would tell us growing up, you know, 
choose your friends wisely because it matters. Well, why does yeah. it matter? It matters because who we're hanging out with affects what we believe, how we act, what we think, and it's true as adults as well. Wow, that thank you for sharing your story, Rosalind, and being vulnerable with us. It's just a beautiful story and a beautiful picture. And I really do think that we all tend to think we're in control of so many more things than we really have control over. I mean, even as you pointed out, we think we own our own lives, but we did not create ourselves. We were created and we belong to the one who created us. Um, so that was just a beautiful story. Um, yeah, so David says that our attitude is often a reflection of our there, or if you're just joining us for the first time today, um, our goal, our there is our goal. So if our attitude is a reflection of our goal, what does he mean by that? How are those two things related? You know, I, I believe they're related because it, um, it's a reflection. Our lives are a reflection of what we're focusing on. It's kind of like if you're driving your car, where you're looking is where your car is going to go. Um, and, and in life, it's easy to get distracted. That's why I like the diagram in the last chapter on referent influence is the diagram that talks about how our foundation are our values and we live our lives in the seven pillars, living out our values as we're on the path to our there. Um, so our there kind of is the umbrella over our lives. And so the example I, I would like to give, I have a neighbor who her goal in the neighborhood is to have the best house and the best yard. That's her goal. And, and that, that goal affects her attitude and her actions towards the neighbors. So all of us as neighbors, we're in competition in her eyes with her. <laughs> I mean, literally. And so her actions is she gets angry. Oh, well, you chose, you did that paint because I did that paint. And it is just very destructive. So our goals really do matter. Now, let's say if my goal is that I want to value and love my neighbors, mm. then I, I, I look at my neighbor who, who is very difficult and, and try and look at her with empathy and God, how can I show kindness to her? Is there a way I can show kindness to her? Um, instead of, oh my gosh, she is just, you know, and all, all these kind of things. How can I love her? And it helps me to see my other neighbors. Maybe they left their cars in front of my place or their trash out. Well, hey, you know what? I can take their trash in. It changes how I, I see things and what I do. So choosing wisely our goals, especially our transcendent there, our life goal really is important. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, the one of the last things I want to point out about this chapter is that David uses several quotes from Viktor Frankl. Some of you might be familiar with Viktor Frankl's story, but he lived in a concentration camp during World War II. And I want to share this quote from Viktor Frankl. He said, 
we who lived in concentration camps can remember the men who walked through the hurts, comforting others, giving away their last piece of bread. They may have been few in number, but they offer sufficient proof that everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. Rosalind, I want to be that kind of person who in the worst of circumstances chooses to bless and care for others rather than pitying myself. But how do we shift our focus this way? I mean, we can look at that picture that Viktor Frankl gives us, and it's so powerful. How do we shift our focus that way? It seems so hard to do, but some like something that we all want. I, I agree. I want that too. This is a tough question. I think you should answer it. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, I, I think so. I was I'm pondering this, and I think one thing is remembering the three things we can control. Hmm. I mean, I think cementing that in our brains now when things are going fine is so important for when those things are coming because he truly was victimized. He was yes. in a horrific situation. And if we can remember now, oh, I can always choose who I trust. And that reflects into my actions and my attitudes. Nobody can take this away from me. Really helps when we feel or we are being victimized. I might yeah. not be controlled what is happening to me, but I can control what is happening within me and what I do with that. Um, mm -hmm. For me, it really goes back to, to God. Um, Psalm 25 verses four through five are one of my, my favorite verses that show me your ways, Lord, mm -hmm. teach me your paths, guide me in your truth and teach me for you, God, my savior, my hope is in you all day long. I cannot tell you how many times that I just go, God, would you show me, teach me and guide me? I don't know what to do, um, but I need your help. And, and another thing that I think is important is when we're having those struggles is to be honest about them. For me, I like to journal. And so I will just journal down specifically all the stuff that's going on. And then I'll go to God's word and I'll write down what is the truth in that. Well, Rosalind, I wish we could talk more. And the good news is we'll get to talk more next week because we have you with us again. So thank you for being with us today. And I want to thank all of our sponsors, Blue Ridge Chimney Services, Blessings Christian Bookstore, Sunshine Ministries, Wishing Well Florists and Travel Services, and New Beginnings Church and Garber's Church of the Brethren. Thank you all for listening. And if you'd like to help keep Crossroads on the air with a donation, you can do so by check to Crossroads at P.O. Box 881, Harrisonburg 22803. I'm Rita Peters, and I have had Rosalind Weisenberger as my guest today. Thank you for being with us, and join us again next week for another edition of Crossroads, where faith and culture meet. Thank you for listening to the Crossroads podcast. To learn more about Convention of States, go to conventionofstates.com.